0: Hey everybody, welcome to the show. My name is Matt. I am with Attila. That's right. Hello. This is going to be a new series you're going to be able to find on the 90s Kid YouTube channel. You can search for it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. We're going to be talking all about different elements of game design going deep. Attila has been making games for how many years now?
1: Uh, I guess 12 years because I started when I was... Well, I started making computer games when I was 10 years old
0: a long time, and a young guy too, but he's very prolific. I urge you to check out his brand new game, Robo's World of the Zarnok Fortress, available on Steam right now. Now on this episode, we are going to be looking at game environments and reusing game environments and looking at specific examples in games and when they got that
1: right and when they didn't. So Attila, why did this
0: subject reach out to you?
1: So a lot of what we're going to be talking about on these podcasts is just things that I've encountered in the games that I've been playing sort of on a in my spare time when I'm not working on games. And in particular, I played a couple of games recently, uh, Legend of Zelda Twilight Princess and Paper Mario A Thousand Year Door. Love both those games. And in both games, they handle environmental reuse in different ways. And it just sort of got me thinking about, why does this feel good? Why does this feel bad? Um, if I see it in other contexts, you know, is this the developers being lazy, is this good design, is this bad design, there's a lot to talk about, there's a lot to sort of dig through. Mm, absolutely. Um, and it, it really got my head going
0: through like all the different uh, different examples I've seen. So maybe I'll start off with one example. Um, I'd say one that everybody could hearken to and and, and will immediately bring up when they see this in other games is Metroid and Castlevania, especially yeah. the Castlevania Symphony of the Night. Now this is a game that has you backtracking a lot through different environments, but the way that they make it very interesting is that different areas become accessible to you as you so say earlier areas, sorry, in the game that might have been locked off and walled will become mm-hmm. accessible when you pick up in Metroid the ability to have missiles or yeah. the ability to bomb or to roll. And it it works if it's it's uh, visibly apparent to the player. You don't want to make it too easy, but you want to give them the clues. So sometimes in Metroid, it's very obvious that if a, you can't walk through something, but it's small, when you get the morph ball, you're able to go through it. Yeah. Other times can be a bit more ambiguous, like the ability to bomb certain sections, but they try to they try to handle that by making it graphically apparent, which to me, I didn't pick up on, but
1: maybe some like, hardcore Metroid people might be thinking, like, well, how could you not get that? So, yeah, sometimes they resort to something as obvious as like, different colored doors where you know like oh i have this item that opens blue doors now i can go through blue doors and just wait what you're touching upon there and the way the like metroid and castlevania handle these reused environments is that um they're sort of opening up this big world for you to explore and there are just naturally parts you can't get to just yet and it's not as much like i there there there's um it's it's more sort of in the realm of backtracking, and it's all related, right? Because like, um, when you're dealing with uh, having to backtrack in games, it means like you're you're going back to an area, or you're you're walking back through an area you've already been in. And in the case of uh, Metroid and Castlevania, it's because you have some new item or some new place that you can now explore. So there's a a reason to come back to this place. It's not just because the developers are forcing you to. Okay, you made it to the end of this corridor turn around, walk back the way you came because we're trying to pad out our game time. You're coming across new and exciting possibilities in this in this space you've maybe visited before, but you had only like a cursory pass through it and now you have something much more in depth or it's uh simply a passage to an area you haven't been to at all. And and that's the thing is
0: that the way you you describe that it being something new and exciting, like right, I have this, I can finally go back there, and I can't wait to try this out. And that and that also sets the tone for the rest of the game, where you can now now you're in experimentation mode, yeah. And that's brilliantly done. But the in ways that it doesn't work, not using any specific examples, is when you have to backtrack because uh, they just want you to go back and grab a different item or like let's say in Metal Gear Solid One, there is a lot of backtracking used. And the first time it really becomes apparent is when Merrill is shot down by Sniper Wolf, and they tell you on the radio you need to go all the way back through the snowfield through two warehouses and you have to find a sniper rifle and there's a lot of um, crisscrossing throughout that area because Gear Solid One is a very deceptively small game. There's mm-hmm. not a lot of elements in it, but it was pushing the PlayStation One hardware as as far as it could there's actually not that many um it feels like there's so much more especially when you when you look back at uh with nostalgia i think there's less than 25 guards that are roaming around um but it just feels so much bigger so i found that that was a little bit of a drag to have to go back and get the sniper rifle when you uh finish that game the last third of it before before the end of it there's a lot more backtracking and they've replaced some of the cameras with gun cameras and it's they really try to use the most of it there and it's there, the problem with it is that he, the weapons that you've garnered throughout, mm-hmm. don't make the playthrough on the way back any different. Yeah. It's not like when you're leveled up as a as Alucard and Symphony of the Night, mm-hmm. that you're so much more powerful. So you're just blasting through people, yeah. or in Earthbound, when you're super powerful, you can just one shot enemies throughout. So yeah, and I've,
1: that that that's its own sort of like fun experience, right? Because like very rarely in games do you get to like appreciate how strong your character has become. Like, there's a lot of emphasis on like, just constantly building your character up, but then constantly increasing the difficulty of enemies you're encountering. And therefore, the player never gets to feel powerful because they're always been being given a consistent challenge level. And that's a good thing. But it's also fun to sort of go back and just be able to like plow through all these like, super low-level enemies because you're just now a god compared to them.
0: Absolutely, and balancing that out. But you're, yeah, you're absolutely because it's all relative. If you're stronger, but the enemies are stronger, well, it feels like nothing's really changed, other than how you implement the different attacks that can be more interesting. And to balance it in a way that there's just a a few little touches of going back and feeling super powerful, but not having that become too boring Mm -hmm. and uh, too easy. Metal Gear Solid Five and Metal Gear Solid One also used ranking systems and new game pluses. So when you go through Metal Gear Solid One, you either, depending on the ending, you either got infinite ammo. Or a stealth suit. And that meant playing the game a new way. So you're going through the same environment, going through the same game. It's a lot more fun this time. And also they will rank you throughout. So it gives you a different emphasis to go back and maybe even have different play styles. Metal Gear Solid V used this a lot where they would actually require you to access the rest of the game, go back and rank up your your missions. And it's a very sparse open world in Metal Gear Solid five where yeah. you'll go to the same camp, but this time you're getting an engineer or this time you're capturing a weapons person. And they're kind of all the same, mm-hmm. but they managed to make that interesting because you're progressing the story, but also that it's a sandbox. And with a sandbox, you can replay you pretty much have to use the same environments for Sandbox, yeah.
1: otherwise it would become it would be untenable to be able to create all that content.
0: Well, and that's the biggest thing, is that why do games reuse environments? And it's because a video game, unless it's a roguelike or procedurally generated, randomly generated, there are finite resources that you have to make this game. Like, everything you see in a game, Attila and some developer, they've had to make that. So um, finding a way to repeat that and make it interesting could allow you to make the game a lot longer, and uh, and as well and get like kind of more bang for your buck. So, how was your experience with the, or did you have something there? Yeah, just
1: it's it's that delicate line that you walk, right? Because if you make the player retread the same ground all too often, then it's so quickly apparent that it's padding, you know, and mm-hmm. that that quickly. Drags down your experience of the game. You immediately feel like, oh, do I really have to walk through the same hallway again, or like fight these same enemies over again? Um, and it's just when you have an experience that's well done. When you we you know you touched upon like you get the stealth suit or you get infinite ammo, like you're now presented with something that feels like a different experience, and that's what we really want as gamers. We 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 want the things that we're playing in the game to feel like things we haven't done already like i think there's in in a lot of people have like your typical route that you take to get to work and it's the same every day and you have this feeling that in real life there's a a bit of monotony and you can acknowledge you can do your best to like listen to a podcast while you walk or an audiobook or whatever you try to pass that time that feels the same but that's what we want to get away from when we go to play games we want to sit down and have everything be novel and have you know these these like gorgeous worlds to explore and we don't want to have just like oh great i'm going to be walking all the way through this environment to get a key and then i have to walk all the way back to the other end of the environment like that's one of the you know most easily identifiable as being annoying aspects of um, forced backtracking is that feeling of like you go to the extreme end of one room to get a key to go all the way back to the other end of the room to open the door, and maybe that door just has another key behind it, which now you need to go to the, back to the other extreme end of the room, and it just gets tiresome, because you, you don't feel like you're getting anything new out of the experience. Now, if you are, as in the case of Twilight Princess, this is what sort of inspired my, um, you know, my thought process and all this environmental backtracking stuff, In Twilight Princess, you enter the Twilight Realm and Link gets transformed into a wolf. And you must collect, uh, I believe, something along 15 tiers from these insects that are hidden throughout the environment. And that encourages exploration of the environments. It makes you look at towns or non-combat areas not dungeons but in in a way that you normally wouldn't regard them you're now thinking of like how can i get here how can i get there because as a wolf you have a different control scheme so because you're doing this sort of collection quest in a town it's drawing you to all the interesting locales like maybe in your playthrough you wouldn't have noticed this one little shop because it it doesn't serve you in a gameplay perspective i mean of course in legend of zelda game that's that vast, goodness knows there's probably like a heart piece hidden there or some rupees or something like that. But just giving the player um, some sort of collectible or benefit to exploring these areas and sort of drawing them around the environment allows them to gain an appreciation for the environment rather than just feeling like they're being you know, led by the nose back and forth through it because gosh darn it you're going to appreciate all the effort we put into building this place. Um, and then probably one of the best things they did is when you collect that last tier when you find that last bug and the that portion of the gameplay is concluded they teleport you right back to the start of the zone so you don't have to just like walk back through empty space because there's just nothing engaging about that
0: that's one of my favorite things that they've done in in the 3d zeldas uh I'm not so familiar with the the first two, like the the 2D ones, but Mm -hmm. I remember the first time I played Ocarina of Time and I went through my first dungeon and got all the way to the end and I was really dreading. I'm like, oh my God, I'm gonna have to walk back through this whole thing, but they never make you do it. They always warp you out. Yeah. And they also have a really smart thing. Uh, This isn't so much about repeating game environments, but when something appears like, say a treasure chest or whatever, they always take the camera back from that chest to your character. So you know exactly where to go. You're not wasting your time. Now, that's that's a way that 3D Zelda's have been fantastic with reusing environments and not making you walk through the ones that you shouldn't have to. But they've also been accused of using padding in definitely The Wind Waker. Mm-hmm. And that was, uh, that was addressed in the HD version where they cut down um, a long, long portion of that game that not only requires you to get three pieces, it's like get six pieces of this so they can get four pieces of this so you can get a map so you can get this. And it's. They've addressed it.
1: Yeah, that's the collecting of the Triforce shards, and that's that is basically falls into the category of what I was describing before. Is like the worst feeling of backtracking is where like you're you're putting. Let's say that the Triforce chart is the key, and then the Triforce itself is the chest, and it's like you're just grabbing the key and throwing it as far away from the chest as possible, and you're just you know you're not fooling anyone. I don't even know why develop. Well, I shouldn't say I don't know why. I it's frustrating when developers resort to that sort of thing i think that you know we don't want to get too far away from the the reason that developers feel motivated to do this kind of thing in the first place and that's because well originally it was because gamers could only afford so many games like games were incredibly expensive and just relative to people's income so if you could only afford so many games you were probably looking for which experience got you the most bang for your buck essentially and i think you know consumers might have been misinformed in certain ways when they thought like oh if i buy this game you know i'll i'll get more out of it because the playtime on the back of the box says 60 hours and if you're one of those people who evaluates gameplay as being only worth like a dollar an hour, you know. Some some people are like that, and it's like, well, does that mean that Legend of Zelda is only worth twenty five dollars to you because you can beat the game in twenty five hours? Does that mean that Minecraft is worth two hundred dollars because you can spend two hundred hours playing Minecraft? Sure. What Infinite. about uh, what about multiplayer games? Right, like a lot of the popular, um, either Call of Duty or Halo are those games worth. $2, 000, Twenty thousand dollars because that's how many hours you can log playing those things it's like oh no no, no uh, just uh just single player campaign that's the only metric they want to be measuring these things by it's like okay well then are you telling me hello's worth six dollars because you can beat it in six hours and it's just it's it's not the quantity of hours that you're getting out of the game it's the quality of time that you should be looking for.
0: And and I'd say like the overall experience that you're left with too. I mean, I look at a game like Firewatch, which was one of my favorite games of the year. Mm-hmm. That had a lot of reusable environments as well, but in terms of the hours, you could get through that in an evening. A game like Journey that you can get through in an evening. Yeah. And that I'm increasingly drawn to as I get older and have less time to play games and want to experience so many games. It's like you watch a movie all through it in an evening and then if it's a really good one, you're going to think about it. And it's a game I still think about and that I could go back. Um when you were talking about the uh, value of games and uh, per hour i was thinking about world of warcraft mm-hmm. and how uh, the the publishers of that game definitely look at that as worth to them yeah. it's worth an infinite amount of money because of all these people just spending hours after hours let's look at um let's look at a game like mario 64 now mario 64 had you going back into each of the paintings several times eight times ten times and getting different stars and it would be reusing the exact same environment you could be going back to the same area you would just be doing a different task and they would give you a little bit of a hint and that was a like a brilliant way to get a lot more bang for your buck i was playing new super mario 3d world on the wii u and, Mm -hmm. and they have multiple stars you can get in each level but it's it's really up to you to find these, which is kind of the problem. They don't give you a hint. They don't make it much of a production when you do find a star. I mean, when you finally get that star in Super Mario sixty four, like Sunshine, the other yeah. ones, it's it's like the whole, they do a little end game animation yeah. and it's a big deal. Whereas I thought that was a little bit weaker in Super Mario three D World. Maybe that would get a bit tiresome, but I found that it um, it made the whole experience feel less like a long linear journey that I'm working on. Whereas sixty four, I felt like I was really progressing going back. Going back and uh trying to track down a hundred coins in one level, it's the same yeah. level and you're just finding hundred coins or you're finding eight red coins
1: and it's uh it's a really brilliant way of uh of doing that yeah, the most important thing is that in those kind of cases where you're returning to the same like where you're retreading familiar ground the it just means that the developers need to invest the time in making each experience within those worlds unique because that's that's what you want right you want a unique experience and if you just happen to be in the same like play environment but you're getting a unique experience then you're not too bothered by the fact that it's like oh here i am in um Bom-om battleground again and this time you know in one level you're climbing all the way up to the top to topple the king um uh king bomb, i think yeah and um in another level you are like you know finding the eight red coins that's the classic sort of collection quest and then there's the hundred coins in a level which is also like a really difficult challenge and then those have to be seeded in places that are interesting and accessible to players um so creating those kinds of environments where you have to return to them like time and again it's almost well i'm not gonna say it's almost it's definitely more challenging than creating a an environment where you just you know one and done kind of thing you know I'm um, just imagine how much time went into creating all those different objectives within the world, um, making tweaks to the world so that it improves the play experience of one of those challenges, and then like oh you got to make sure that that doesn't preclude any of the um, any of the other challenges. Like if you have to add a platform so that this challenge is accessible, does that mean that a different challenge is now? too easy because that platform falls on the same path up to a certain point so it definitely helps quote-unquote like save space if you're just going back to the same place over and over again but it's no easier to design those reused environments than it is to design a, a single level like you know you pop open something like Mario Maker and you can create a reasonable linear experience within you know not too long i know that when i was working on the levels for zarnok fortress which are all like bidirectional and i was creating alternate paths within them and that was all just so that players would have a different experience within a single room never mind a an entire sort of like challenge like in mario you're obviously going to be blazing through a level of zarnok fortress in far less time than you would be getting a star in mario um, sunshine or galaxy or 64 as the case may be so it's it's definitely you know we're, we're looking at environmental reuse done right in those cases um you know and the the more elaborate they make the changes to those zones the bigger they make those zones the more sort of stories they can tell within them right like the the more varied those zones become, the easier it becomes to sort of include like, well, you know, this time you're going to be investigating um, the, like the, I'm thinking of in Mario Sunshine, you have this like whole theme park zone and they were practically able to make a challenge or a shine sprite associated with all the different attractions in that zone because there's, they're all there, and they're all contributing to the the feeling of the theme park. Like it, it wouldn't, it simply wouldn't make sense to have eight different theme park themed worlds or levels in Mario Sunshine, where you can just have one big cohesive theme park, where you know challenge by challenge, shine sprite by shine sprite, you get the opportunity to go in and really investigate one by one in depth, those attractions.
0: Yeah. It's, it's interesting because of course the designer of the game is arguably the most important because without them, the game has nothing to differentiate itself from any others, but it, as, as you look into it, when a game is maxed out, I'll say on the hardware and the software Mm -hmm. design is, is almost infinite because if the designer can, they can really wrench out something more interesting by the way you use these blocks. It's like it's like playing a game of uh, of checkers, but like changing the rules. You know, you got the same pieces, mm-hmm. but you're able to mess around with it. You know, earlier you mentioned online games, and I think that that's something I, I didn't even consider until now. And I think, oh my God, you play an online game like, say, Call of Duty or a yeah. uh, Battle Arena game or um, an online role-playing game, and it's you're going through these same maps countless and countless times. I mean, yeah. people playing first-person shooters, they want to play that same map over and over again, so they get to know every nook and cranny but in that sense, it's very—it's um, all about improvising and using the environment to your advantage, and your knowledge of the environment to your advantage. Because those games are created on the fly, and the different experiences within them. So, in the end, it has to be some, something new has to be introduced for you to be in that environment. Whether it's a new character, a new ability, a new kind of situation, a new goal or a new way of going about it. Like you said, with Donna Fortress or like Castlevania, using higher skills to get through it in a different way. And that's the same thing as playing call of duty, that same
1: map, your higher skill is allowing you to have a better, better kill death ratio or like a kill streak. Yeah. I mean, no, no online match is going to play out twice the same way. Cause you're always, uh, you know, your opponents, the, the other players in the game are always going to be creating that new and unique experience. And when you're designing these online maps that players are going to be seeing hundreds if not thousands of times, you need to make sure that those environments, like for the amount of time that goes into creating a single-player level, I cannot imagine how many orders of magnitude more time you'd be spending creating those those maps for an online play experience, just because it matters so much that you can have this variety of experiences and it doesn't feel like every match is playing out the same way. It's just... Yeah, you know, it's it's a it's an entirely different um, sort of ca- set of considerations to be working under.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was thinking of uh, of Grand Theft Auto or different different sort of sandbox games because, in in a sense, an online competitive game is a sandbox. You're going in there and you're messing around with it. But a game like uh, Grand Theft Auto, where you're crisscrossing across the city, going through many times, going down the same roads many times, and the, the only thing that they change is that. There are different objectives and yeah. you really need to make sure that those objectives seem a bit different. As you get older, you start realizing that um, I had, I had an experience a few years ago when let the last of us came out mm-hmm. and my friend was dying to show me this game. And I stayed up all night with him playing and finishing it. And the game really had a profound impact on me, the way that it integrated the story, because the combat in it is can be a bit clunky, and some you're like the AI your compa- combatry mm-hmm. do is like so stupid. You're sneaking around, and they're just wandering into these vicious enemies and not being punished. But the story and the way they told the story throughout and made it so uh, so tied into the gameplay it was so powerful. I remember going back and I tried to play Batman uh, Arkham City mm-hmm. or Nino Cooney, other big games at the time,
1: yeah.
0: and everything just felt so video gamey. I was mm-hmm. playing Arkham City, and it was like. There was a story, it was like, yeah, go up, the joke is up here, but it was really, it was all, it just became like, go to point A, go to point B, mm-hmm. and do C. And it was like, I'm thinking of Assassin's Creed, I'm thinking of these giant games where, if you can't make me care about it in a way that is either really fun with the mechanics, or that the story is telling you something, there has to be motivation, otherwise you're just running around in an environment.
1: Yeah, So it, it's, it's one of those things where you always want your objectives to feel well justified. I mean, obviously, in the, in the case of... The Last of Us, it's a very linear experience. Like you you have all these um, objectives that are justified as like things that you need, like you need to get to this hospital. You need to um, uh, find your way to, through this uh, damned up area to like help them turn the power on and then fend off the raiders. Like those all feel like they arise naturally out of the world. Um, and just before we get too far away from it, I, mm-hmm. I just wanted to make a, a quick mention Like you brought up. Um a sandbox world like Grand Theft Auto, and you know, what is that, if not a like giant mario 64 map, right like they've created um this huge um, city where all these things can take place, and like there's all these like varied environments, um, but you feel this incredible freedom of being able to travel anywhere, and really you because you have that freedom. Because you can tackle all these different objectives, and because there's so much variety in that world, and you you don't feel bad about you know driving down the same street to get to the airport because you just you know you know the airport is the place you go to get planes. It wouldn't that there are vehicles and air vehicles and uh, helicopters and things all scattered throughout. Um, the the world but sometimes you just you need to go to the airport and you don't feel bad about driving down the same street to get to the airport because that's just that's how you do it and um, there and there's also different experiences
0: on, along the way like your yeah. path towards the airport is going to be interrupted by maybe you crashed into a cop car and then yeah. along the way you have these diversions and it's not just the same it's not like just running in an empty environment like say zelda like running across say hyrule field mm-hmm. was there's not so much going on there, but with the with Epona, the horse yep. being able to jump over and putting a little bit of skill into it, and yep. that's the way Grand Theft Auto does it well. It's like you are testing your driving skills because mm-hmm. you can get there faster if you're skilled. Yeah. And or you can be smashing into people, or you could follow all the lights and the laws and uh, it would take you a lot longer.
1: Yeah. Well, was there anything else you wanted to cover in this uh I'll just take a look here really quickly. Um yeah I, I think we've touched about touched upon just about everything um it's It's just really one of those things where you have to understand um, that you know reuse of environments is not always a bad thing in games. it's something that like of course we all want to have infinite novelty in our lives mm-hmm. right I think that's everyone wants that feeling, but the restraints of time and of hardware um are very real and you know, so so is the amount of time that you have to put into these experiences in the first place. So I think there's just the the important distinction of, like, when environmental reuse is appropriate, um, when it's becoming tedious and cumbersome for the player, and really, as a designer, you just have to ask yourself the question of, like, you know, has the player done this already? Am I just leading them back and forth through the same uh, play space again, or is there something different this time? Is there something noticeably different this time? Like, you know, if you're going through the same space with a different gun, but this one fires, you know, at a slightly longer range than the other one, is that really enough to justify going back through the same hallway again? Or is this time, did we take away the player's gun? Like, that's, and that's a truly different experience. Sure, taking away Mario's uh, jetpack for certain levels... Exactly, yeah, like in Mario Sunshine. Right. You, you had those, uh, and you can go back through and play those again with the jetpack equipped and they're entirely different um, sort of levels of challenge. They have different expectations of the player. So, Or like uh, with Mario 2,
0: you could be going through the same levels and you could have completely different experience where you're playing as princess, the yep. way Luigi jumps, the way... So, like, adding that different experience, that different play. Now, actually, I was thinking about like, what? So, what is the future of this? Are, are we seeing a an evolution of gaming with something like Minecraft, which is something that you, that is a very sandboxy. You're using the same environment, but you are modifying the environment, mm-hmm. giving people the control. I was browsing through the magazine rack, and I was like, I wonder what video game magazines are out now. And I didn't see any. I saw maybe an episode, uh, an issue of PC Gamer. Mm-hmm. Maybe like an Xbox official one, and I saw nine different Minecraft magazines. Yeah, it's insane. So, like, is that like, did Nintendo
1: catch up with uh, Mario Maker and this evolution of it? I think that there is like this, this might be a topic that we can sort of talk a bit more about on another day, but there is a fundamental difference between a designed experience and a randomly generated experience. Minecraft is completely random. You know, they they have... But the, also designed by the player. Yes, it's designed by the player, um, and that's where you're going to get some of the most interesting value out of the environment, um, is when you are thinking about it as a canvas. Like, how can you create something in this space? Um, when you have something that... Like, but... Um, I'm just trying to think of how to best vocalize this. You don't think of Minecraft's world as like how much fun is it to play in the randomly generated space that Minecraft has given me you think about it as like how can i harvest parts of this world to create and to make my mark upon this world um you know if if we look at the example of a game which has like a sort of procedurally generated mode where it's like it's going to generate platforms that are possible to jump between but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's has anywhere that it has anywhere near the level of refinement of a um a play space that a designer has gone in through and you know meticulously created these jump arcs and distances and measured everything out you're just going to get a much higher quality of play experience from the finely crafted um and sort of like the hand touched environments than you would the procedural ones um, but like as, as time goes on I think it's going to be easier for people to create um, like as, as tools advance it's going to be easier for people to create these hand touched environments and to put good bounding values on the randomly generated ones um, Like I, I think you're always going to have more fun in a uh, in a world that has been touched directly by a designer. Like there's just, there's no getting around that you're, you're, you can create the most amazing random city generator in the world, but the quality of the play Like that No Man's place, Sky. Yeah. I, I, I don't want to detract from what looks like a fantastic game, but it, it's just, it's one of those things where I think that the, the play experience that you're going to have in No Man's Sky, hopefully, Um, have been crafted by the designers so that the things that can pop up in those worlds... Like in Minecraft, you can have a stronghold appear. And that's a very structured thing that appears in an otherwise very randomized world. But it has its own sort of experience to it. Um, But just yeah there's that you simply can't compare it to something that a machine can spit out as opposed to something that a human can invest time and effort in at least not for a while i'm sure that eventually we're we're going like, to you know we might even find out that nintendo has released mario maker to the public but in their in their back pocket they've got the algorithm from which all mario levels are wrought and they can just you know punch in values and it's like the number of koopas that appear in the level is a slider and all these things and they can just hit a button and the computer can generate something that feels like a, a competent play experience. Um, although there is an incredible amount of value to starting with these randomly generated environments and then you know having that fill out a lot of the content and then going back in and adding those little details that really refine the experience, and that really enables people to create um, those unique environments that are otherwise so time-consuming to create from scratch. Well, I'd say that's an episode. I'd say so. So Attila, where can people find you on Twitter or out on the internet? Yeah, so you can find me at bluishgreenpro Green Pro on Twitter. And uh I have my own website, bluish uh dot com. And yeah, you can find me on YouTube, Facebook. I don't use either of those very much, but <laughs> I, I'm out and about. Usually anything to do with bluish green productions, that's me all right uh, my name
0: is matt this was on the 90s kid youtube channel it'll also be on game thing talk for your podcasting we'll be back next week with another episode on an incredibly interesting facet of game design bye for now